growing up, uh, my father, he still does, attends a church of around 4,000 people. It's a very, very large church. And when I was growing up, um, I would go with him on Sundays sometime. Uh, and what they had, they had a, a full, if you remember back in the day, I can't believe I'm old enough to say that, but there used to be video rental places all around town. You could go get on Friday night, get your DVD or VHS. Sorry, children are dismissed for We Worship. But in this very, very large church, they had their own video rental place. It didn't cost you anything. You just had to be a member of the church to go get a video out of their library. Um, and so I would do a lot of that. I would Every time I'd go to church with my dad, I would bring back what I got, and I would get a new one. And, uh, and so I went through their library, and a lot of what I watched growing up were things that had to do with telling the story of Jesus. Does anybody remember Salty? This Salter? Okay. I uh, remember reading a lot of, or watching a lot of his. Can't remember the name of the cartoon. If you do, shout it out. But there was these, I think, three kids that were allowed to go through time, and every once in a while they would show up in the time of Jesus and be able to watch what was going on. Um, and uh, I remember one time uh, I got to watch with Garrett. He was three or four years old at the time, and we watched one of those cartoon animations of Jesus' life, and, and it got to the crucifixion, and I remember him getting really upset as, he, as to why were they doing that. Um, today, uh, I know a lot of people like to watch, I think the show's called The Chosen, uh, that uh, recreates or recounts the life of Jesus. I have seen over the course of the years many different, I think there's a, a movie just called Matthew, and it's a reproduction of the book of Matthew, word for word, and acted out that way. My point in all of this is to say that we, of course, none of us here actually saw what Jesus did. We looked last week at the uh, fact that one of the ways that Jesus's words and actions are described is astonishing. The people who saw it were astonished at what they saw. But we were not there. And none of us, maybe you've been to Israel, you've seen some of the places, but you did not see what was going on. All of us have only heard what Jesus did. We've only heard the astonishing things that Jesus did. Maybe it's through a video growing up, a video series, or maybe it's The Chosen, or maybe it's something else, or uh, maybe you've been to Israel, or maybe it's just Sunday school flannel graph, but some way or another, you have heard the astonishing works of Jesus, and hearing it, you were called to respond. You, it deserved to respond. You hear about a man who, who opens the eyes of the blind or, multitude, or gives a multitude of bread and fish, it's astonishing if you just, if you're not familiar with the stories, it is astonishing to hear these things. Well, today in this story, we have a man who does not see and does not hear with his own eyes and ears what Jesus does. He gets secondhand information just like us. And just like us, he's going to be called to respond to what he hears about. And we've been talking about that over the uh, starting last week. Well, last year when we ended our section of Matthew, we ended on a series of parables that were telling us how great and wonderful Jesus is and his kingdom, particularly describing him as a great treasure. And now as we transition to this section of the book of Matthew, we are going to read about responses. How are people going to respond? We saw last week he went to Nazareth to the people who knew him the best, and they rejected him. And today we get to read, as you heard me read, uh, another response. But again, from somebody who didn't see, 
didn't hear with his own eyes and ears, but but uh, is only getting secondary information. That na- that person, the main character of our passage, is a man by the name of Herod Antipas or Herod Tetrarch. Herod's father, we know. Herod's father was King Herod the Great. He is the one who slaughtered the Jewish children. Well, Herod, this Herod called the Tetrarch or Antipas, was not given the title of king like his father. Uh, in this passage, Herod hears about what Jesus is doing. He hears about Jesus' message. He hears what Jesus is doing. Herod becomes the main character. As I said, all of the actions are done by Herod. He is the one who hears about Jesus. He imprisons John. He makes promises. He has regrets. He commands the death of John and delivers John's head on a platter. This is the Herod that Jesus calls a fox, meaning what Jesus meant by that is this a man who plays politics. This is a man who is entirely looking out for his own self-interest. And so this is the kind of man we have as he hears about the astonishing things that Jesus has done. In the first two verses, where Matthew tells us he's going a little bit backwards in time. What he's about to tell us has already happened. We know from Matthew 11 that John has been put in prison. We now know, here in chapter 14, we find out why. Why was John put in prison? But the passage is not about John. The passage is about Herod and Herod's response to what he heard about Jesus. And we can break down that response into four parts. Number one, the first thing is a simple one. Herod hears the astonishing stories of Jesus' words and works. He hears the astonishing stories of Jesus' words and works. We saw it again last week, that word, astonishing. They were astonished at what they hear. Now, Herod, again, he is the top in this particular region. He is the top of the political machine. So we know that what Jesus is doing had to be astonishing because it's making its way all the way to the guy who had the most political power in the region. This is a guy, again, he's interested in his politics. He's interested in what's going on. And so this must have grabbed his attention. He heard the stories. He heard what Jesus was doing. Now, there's a very clever parallel here. Again, remember what happened with Herod's father, King Herod. King Herod had the wise men come. And he asked them what they were doing there. He said, we saw a star and we've come from the east. And so Herod, King Herod, not this Herod, King Herod, calls the, the, the scholars in. And they say, well, according to the Bible, there's a, the king of the Jews is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Well, Herod, King Herod responded to that news, to this astonishing prophecy about a coming Messiah by murdering innocent children. Here in this text, Herod's son is again confronted with hearing about this astonishing works and words of Jesus. And the question we are supposed to ask is the reader, what will Herod do? And there's obviously a foreshadowing here. Herod and Jesus will meet. We know they will meet towards the, towards the end of, or right before Jesus is crucified. But what we find here in chapter 14 is Herod's response is settled long before the two of them ever meet. Now we can make several applications here. We've, we can make a couple, like for example, we hear just like Herod does. Herod does not, at this point, has not seen anything. He has not heard with his own ears. And just like us, he had to respond And we have to respond by the hearing. Another application we can make is that has to do with family. We can see, again, King Herod was a wicked, wicked man. And we know that this Herod 
is, has his own individual response. And one of the things we have to remind ourselves is that a person's parents or their lineage or their background does not doom them from being saved. It does not, we want to make the, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking also that the faith of a parent is going to guarantee that a child is going to be saved. But Herod was not doomed just because King Herod was his father. We also have to consider that there are lots of people just like Herod. Lots of people, if you, uh, I, I find it very interesting. I, whatever your political opinion is on this whole forgiving of student debt, I don't know what it was, but a lot of people, a lot of secular, non-Christian, people from mainline news kept making the comparison between Jesus paying the debt of sin and Joe Biden paying the debt of students. And one of the things I got from that is our culture knows. They've heard the word. We don't want to make the mistake of thinking, you know what, the reason these people don't believe, the reason they, they, they don't uh, put their faith in Christ is simply because somebody hasn't explained it to them. No, they have. Maybe we think to ourselves, you know, the reason they don't believe is because they had a bad experience with somebody. And if they would just be a good, kind Christian like me, of course they would hear the gospel and believe. We want to make sure we don't make the mistake of thinking that if we were just clever if we found a clever way to talk about it, if we could just come up with a, uh, another good show or another animated series, or if we would maybe have an interpretive dance uh, for our special music, if we could just find some way, then people would believe. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that when they hear the astonishing works of Jesus, they need to respond of their own accord, they, and they respond by, uh, they respond uh, to that message number two so first of all herod hears the astonishing works number two we see that herod identifies jesus as one sent from god look at the reaction now herod makes the comparison with john and jesus the intention is a contrast see in the people of nazareth we, we saw last week they rejected Jesus on the count. They did not believe to him to be anybody special. Remember the questions they asked? Don't we know his mom? Don't we know his dad, his brothers and sisters? Hey, do you remember that one time we heard the story about his younger brother who, you know, maybe stole an apple from the market? They, they were just familiar with him. They didn't believe him because they didn't think he was anybody special. Herod here, at least, making the comparison with John, thinks that Jesus is a prophet sent from God. He hears these astonishing things, and he says, this must be John the prophet. But he's, he's, he's connecting the idea that only somebody from God could actually do what he's hearing about. But we note here that John or Herod is very, very close to the truth, but far from reality. He notices that Jesus and John are prophets, but we see a little bit of madness he thinks, no, this isn't just a prophet. This is John reincarnated. And Matthew is intentional here. He wants us as the reader to make this connection. The ministry of John was tied to the ministry of Jesus. You see, that's why we say this is Herod's response to Jesus. As we read this story about Herod's interaction with John, this is really about his response to Jesus. Because Matthew wants us to see that Herod's response to John is parallel to Herod's response to Jesus. John had told people he was not the Messiah, that he had only come to prepare the way. But 
Herod looks at Jesus, he sees John, but the idea there is he identifies this as someone, these astonishing things are being done by someone who comes from God. Now this is really interesting. A lot of people are willing to identify Jesus as come from God, but like Herod, they're not close to reality. They might be willing to profess something like Jesus was another Old Testament prophet. I've heard people say that. Some people would like to say, you know what, he was a gifted and enlightened teacher from God, sent at the right time. Herod identifies him from God, but he comes up short. He doesn't see everything. That Jesus is way more than this. And as we read our Bibles, we learn that Jesus, of course, is a prophet, knowing all about us, what we do, knowing God's word, preaching God's word. We know that Jesus is a priest who stands before God on our behalf. We know that Jesus is a king whose sovereignty is unquestioned, who will judge the acts and responses of people. But Jesus is identified by Herod as one sent from God. Brings us to number three. Herod was a lover of power and pleasure and therefore afraid of Jesus. Herod was a lover of power and pleasure and therefore was afraid of Jesus. We see in this passage, Herod is a man driven by fear. Maybe perhaps we're supposed to understand that maybe there's a little bit of Herod, unlike his father, maybe this Herod had a little bit of a conscience. He sees Jesus has come from God. Then we read about this story about his interactions with John. Puts John in prison. He puts John in prison because he's irritated, because he's afraid of what John is saying. He has an angry woman living with him, probably afraid of her and what John was saying. We also see that he's afraid to execute John. So he's, he's, this is a man who has all the power to do this, yet he's afraid to execute John because of what would happen with the people. And what it means by that, as we see later with Pilate, the same problem, is that Herod was only a ruler because Rome let him be. Herod was only had that power because Rome gave him that power. And one of the issues that was going on in this day is that people in the region were kind of revolting. Every great once in a while, riots were breaking out, or, or there was some sort of uh, terrorist attack. It, it was, it was a, a chaos at times in this area. And every time chaos would come, Rome would send their army down, or they'd send a group of politicians, and they would swap out leaders. And so Herod's fear of executing John was not driven because of what he feared about John. He feared what the people would do, and he feared what the people would do, because if they did the wrong thing, Rome was going to come. This is a man who is driven by fear. He, and the fear that he had was the loss of power. This man loved his power. He loved, in fact, he loved power so much that we know from historical accounts that he went to Rome to try and get his father's title as king. His brother Philip is mentioned in this passage. If, Her- if the Roman emperor had given this Herod the title of king like his father, Philip, his brother, would have been thrown out. Philip would not have had any power, would no longer have had any political clout. This is a man who, who loved his power and went to Rome to try and consolidate it. But we also know that this was a man who was uh, into all manner of debauchery. We think that street drugs are a, a, a modern invention? No. Herod was known, this Herod was known for throwing 
parties where all sorts of filth and immorality was happening. And again, this is what, what caused John to speak out. He says, you have your brother Philip's wife, his brother's wife, who likely saw the winds of politics turning, leaves her husband and goes to be with Herod. The idea of, Herod, or of her daughter dancing before Herod has an idea of some form of lust or immorality to it. This was a man not only who loved his power, he loved pleasure, drugs, alcohol, women, the kind of debauchery we don't even want to think about was happening in Herod's palace. John represented a, 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 a threat to all of it. And now that John, or Herod has identified Jesus with John... Jesus is now that threat. He sees Jesus as a threat to all of his power and all of the ability to enjoy his pleasure. So follow my thinking here. So Herod hears the astonishing things that Jesus is saying and doing. Herod rightly identifies Jesus as someone who has come from God. But his next step is to look at Jesus as a threat to his immorality and his political power. And there we find the basis of his response. Not the astonishment, not the, the easy identification as one from God. Herod's response was, came from labeling Jesus as a threat to his immorality and to his power. What is the basis of your response? What is the reason you respond to Jesus? How do you identify yourself with him? I mentioned this last week. We all know the Bible clearly foretells us as Christians that if we follow Christ and the further we follow Christ, our identity will be lost in him. For example, the rich man who gets saved, is told in the scriptures to remind himself of the poverty of his soul. The poor man, when he gets saved, is told, remind yourself of the richness you have in Christ. Being a, we go through scripture, being a father, being a child, being a widow, being a deacon, all these things are in relationship to Christ. The identity becomes entirely wrapped up in Christ. And so if you're going to follow Christ, it has to be him. He meddles in your identity. We also know the scriptures tell us there's going to be social consequences. As we walk with Jesus, we will fit in less and less with the world. The Bible clearly tells us that there are going to be spiritual, of course there are going to be spiritual challenges, because Jesus is going to tear down the idols of our heart. So if you love money, if you love sex, if you love health, if you love significance, if you love anything else, Christ is going to come and he's going to challenge it and he's going to tear it down. And many people I have found in ministry, many people I talk to who are not Christians, almost know this by intuition. If I follow him, it's a threat to everything I love. About myself, about my life, about what's going on. It's a threat. And that was primarily the way that Herod saw Jesus, not the astonishing works, not the fact that it was easy to see that he was a man from God. He saw Jesus primarily as a threat to his immorality and his power. And that leads to point number four. 
Herod rejects Jesus. Again, this closing section, this is not only about John being killed. The, the whole text ends by the disciples of John reporting to Jesus. The point Matthew's making here is it's the, the, the narrative starts with Jesus, comes back to Jesus as the end. That's, that's what we're, why we know that this is all about, even though it's a story about Herod and John, this is really about Herod's response to Jesus. So Herod, again, let's just think about this. Herod hears these astonishing things. He identifies Jesus as someone come from God. But then he sees him as a threat. And John's execution is clearly a foreshadowing to what, of what is going to come. As we remind ourselves when Christ was arrested, the Pilate heard that he was from Galilee, which was from Herod's region. And our Lord was sent to Herod. And Herod was looking at Jesus as another opportunity to be entertained. He wanted to see a miracle done. He looked at Jesus as just a, a, an opportunity for him to get more pleasure. But he rejected him. But what we see in this passage is that rejection of Christ came long before the two men ever met. Two applications. First of all, of course, if you've heard the gospel, you've heard the astonishing things that Jesus has done, you know that following him will mean radical change. Don't be like Herod. Don't be somebody who says, you know what? I know that, that, that following Jesus is going to be a threat to my identity, to my idols, to my social status. I am telling you, as he says earlier in the parables we looked at last year, he is the great treasure. Call on him and be saved. But the second application we can make here is for us Christians this morning. In the book of Romans, the Bible says, and I have spent a lot of time thinking about this recently. It says every time, we, in, in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul says, every time I try to do good, I recognize that evil is right there with me. Every time I try to make advancements in my relationship with God, there is the flesh trying to deter me. Every time I make a, 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 an attempt to walk with Christ further, something is going to come out of the corner to try and catch my eye. Something is going to, uh, is going to try and delay me or to get me off the path or, or to get me to doubt. There's always going to be something standing there. We must be careful. Because at any given moment, we can be walking with Christ. And something might come along that we have an idol in our heart, we have a love, we have a, maybe a power or something in our life that is, that is going to come under threat. And maybe today you think, oh, that never happened to me. I, I follow Jesus, and, and he is wonderful, and he means everything to me. Oh, Romans 7 says, just like Herod, there's going to be something that's going to come along. Because where you seek to do good, evil is always there lurking. Ready to twist the way you look at Christ. Ready to twist the way you think about your faith. And we need to heed the warning. Repent. If this is you, repent. So in this passage, we have a powerful politician by the name of Herod. He hears the astonishing things that Jesus was saying and doing. Herod rightly identifies Jesus as the same as John, as someone sent from God. In this account, 
Matthew is trying to tell us that Herod's response to John is synonymous with his response to Jesus, which is proven when the two men meet later. But unlike the people of Nazareth who dismissed Jesus as offensive and nothing special, Herod understood a lot, but still rejected Jesus. Herod would not give up his identity. He would not give up his social standing. He would not give up his power, his pleasure, his idols. He would not give those things up because he counted them a greater treasure than the treasure of Christ. Now, we live in America, the land of great riches and full of idols. He is still the greater treasure. And the warning to us as Christians this morning, do not let those things draw our attention away from the great treasure that is Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your sustaining power. And I just pray, Lord, that these words, your word, would go forth and bear fruit in the lives of people who have heard. And I pray, Father, for anybody here this morning who maybe has heard and maybe understands, just like Herod did. But, Lord, that struggle is going on inside. They know following Jesus is going to mean the end of certain identities and certain have certain social consequences. And, Father, it is going to be a threat to the idols of their heart. But I pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would allow them to see Christ as the greater treasure. And Lord, for us as Christians who desire to walk with you, Lord, that is a need for our life. A constant reminder that you are the greater treasure, more uh, the greater treasure than being healthy, the greater treasure than having riches, the greater treasure, Father, than having many friends. And I pray, Lord, that we be constantly kept before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.